You're listening to the Can I Bring the Dogs podcast with me, Emily, founder of CanIBringTheDogs.com. We are passionate about helping our clients find the absolute best in dog-friendly businesses and to support those businesses through knowledge, skills and community. So make yourself a cuppy, sit back and let us help you unleash your next adventure. Hi and welcome to the Can I Bring the Dogs chat. I am sitting here with Elaine from Peak Potential Dog Training. Say hi Elaine. Hi Emily. Thank you for doing this today, I appreciate it. It might not go very smoothly but we'll give it a go. <laughs> um, so Elaine's here to chat about her business Peak Potential and uh, how she got started and her thoughts on the dog training industry, things like that and any advice that she might have for anyone who's thinking about um, becoming a dog trainer or maybe looking to hire a dog trainer. So um, if that's okay, we'll just get started. Let's do it. Okay. Um, so how long have you been running your business and what was the inspiration to get you started? So this particular business has only been a few years off the ground, but working within training, uh, having my own business has been on again, off again. Started off under the dog's body once upon a time. In the industry, the training side of things, on again, off again for 14 years. And the reason sort of getting into training actually came from starting off with uh, my first, well, my first own dog, which was a family dog. It was a patterdale called Max, and he came to us at three months old, having had zero training and was uh, a toy for the previous owner, uh-huh. three-year-old. Mm-hmm. So uh, a Patterdale Terrier with zero training is an interesting beast. Uh, so They are the terriers of the terrier group. Yeah, they are, they are. So we got him and realized pretty quickly that he needed an outlet. Um, so I got interested in training basically to try and give him that outlet. Um, started mucking about with uh, basic cues and things, stuff that I found from books. So it was kind of self-taught in the beginning, it was just an interest that was sparked. Yeah, that was pretty much your family how, how I got into wanting to train and then um, with my mum working in the animal industry. Because um, your mum was a groomer. My mum was a groomer, so she'd done that for years um, and at the time I was basically her apprentice if you like. Um, I was the bather and brusher outer and mm-hmm. <laughs> General all the, dog's all the body. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Cleaning up the hair all the good stuff. all that fun bit. <laughs> so within that I decided that I quite like the idea of pursuing that uh, myself, p- pursuing work within the animal industry. Um and then when I moved out and got my first own dog, it was a German Shepherd. Uh, another dog was zero training. Uh she was a rehomer and I I found I had a pretty natural flair for it. Um started doing a bit of study on it. Did a few courses, um, various different things then, and over the years have fostered dogs and you know because of fostering lots of different breeds, learnt a, a lot of different motivations and mm-hmm. you know when you're working with a German Shepherd that loves to learn versus the sight hound that's fresh off the track and had no idea what training actually even was, or compassion uh, or good handling, yeah, or... basically was scared of the world yeah. um, and had been passed pillar to post. Yeah. So yeah, that was basically how I got into it, and then worked in the daycare and uh, that's where sort of things really took off classes and stuff that was more mm-hmm. of the first time that I'd done classes mm-hmm. 
I really enjoyed that, but the one-to-one -one sort of behavioural stuff was my real passion and I've kind of in recent years focused down on that more. Uh-huh. So that's with um, your current business, Peak Potential, so is that is that your um, favourite method of teaching? Like what do you offer as, as a business if a client was come, would come to you? What are your So I, I've done services? classes um, and I may do them again in the future, but at the moment my preference is working one-to-one -one because I find the dogs really get so much out of it and the owners as well they're able to tailor what they want in a session they're able to say you know this is what i'm struggling with and we're able to sort of focus down on that mm -hmm. and um, that's seeing the dog in its own home its own environment and yeah so on um, its own walks and we go to their space we work with them where the dog knows um so you know if it's something that the dog is triggered by in its own environment there's no point in shipping them out to neither me or bringing them to a classroom because at the end of the day it's beneficial to have them in the environment mm -hmm. but equally if that environment is too triggering for them we can work in different areas and mm -hmm. give them safe spaces to work mm -hmm. as well awesome what are you i mean you've as you say you've been in the industry for quite a while now in various capacities have you noticed any particular changes or shifts in the training environment or the training sphere? The and yeah because I, I know people um there's more opportunity for people who want to be dog trainers to get qualifications mm. now is that becoming more of a thing? Yeah, for sure. So, especially during the pandemic, a lot more dogs, a lot, a lot more people got dogs that maybe mm. wouldn't have considered them previously. Mm -hmm. So I think from that, there's also been a massive upswing in trainers coming to the industry. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of courses available. So when I first started out, hate to say it, but the reality was the majority of people thought Caesar Milan was God. Mm. You know, they, they all sung his praises and thought that was the, the way to train. You know, the old school methods were, you know, very much yank and crank on the lead. It was, you know, if your dog doesn't behave, you give it a good yank. I'm thinking know. Barbara Woodhouse here. Am I, am I yeah, talking well, rubbish? Bar Barbara Woodhouse, probably the sort of she the British the, the foundation. She wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. she was your sit. <laughs> enunciate enunciate your teeth. <laughs> so you know that that was once upon how how it was done you know if the dog didn't obey mm -hmm. you made it obey mm -hmm. your, your dog did as was told and there was no two questions about it mm -hmm. so are things are things um generally i mean there's always going to be variation but are things generally moving towards more sort of positive cooperative and, and positive reinforcement methods yeah so that that's it's basically as behaviorism as a science has come to the fore and been studied more with domestic dogs so you know if, if we could go right back to the whole david mech who initially coined the whole alpha theory mm -hmm. and then has recanted on that ever since mm -hmm. and unfortunately has has battled his own theory because yep. unfortunately it was taken wholeheartedly and people still tout alpha and pack theory as as something that we should use within dogs unfortunately it's he himself has admitted that he was completely wrong. So just so, in case for anyone who doesn't maybe know, alpha, alpha dogs is the theory that um, there is an alpha male in the pack and in order to control or have dominance over your dog, then you have to become the alpha. Yeah, so basically though that then led to the training uh, concept of if your dog is to behave well, it needs to understand that you are in charge. And by that, you can use methods that the dominant dog would use so mm -hmm. that would be you know things like pushing that was the dog. inverted commas dominant dog. <laughs> yes inverted commas in the air that no one can see yeah <laughs> the dominant quote unquote dog would 
push the other dog to the ground and hold them there until they submitted and things. Mm. So that led to that format training. Mm. And they would eat first and they and would yeah. have preferential access to resources. Access to resources. And and that's that the thing. Um, now, without getting too deep into it, yeah. we understand now that obviously that's not the case. Dominance... <laughs> We could get into a, d- a different day, but that's a whole other chat. That's a whole other chat. <laughs> but basically, it led to that format of training. Now we've moved on to understanding that actually there's much more to it than that, and the dominance in that format doesn't really exist within dogs. Mm. Pack theory, with you know the, the leader of the pack, yeah. doesn't really exist, especially not with humans, because yeah. they know full well through studies that dogs don't recognise us as one of their own, so therefore they don't respond to us as they would to another dog so trying to use dog on dog methodology doesn't even apply even Mm -hmm. if there was such a thing as pack theory so the new methods basically focus on reward based methods where there's still you know people always talk about um, reward based as oh so we're we're just treating them for everything and that's that's not true because there's still consequences for behaviour that we're less Mm -hmm. wanting to encourage But instead of doing things like yanking on the lead mm-hmm. or, you know, smacking them over the nose with the newspaper, that going mm-hmm. very old school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, we are putting in place as consequences. So if the dog's too excited, we could give them time in a different room where they need to chill out. Or we could give them access to something that's going to help them settle themselves. Mm-hmm. We could remove something that they're getting too rowdy with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if they're if they're having an absolute riot around the house with a toy yeah. simple solution there is take the toy that's causing the high behaviour out yeah. of the equation or put them in a more suitable place to do mm-hmm. it if they're getting too rowdy in the house and they're throwing things around can they play the same game in the garden and is yeah. it not causing anyone harm Yeah. so it's about kind of managing the situation as opposed to trying to control behaviour through force yeah that's it so yeah. it's basically the, the big understanding on it is that if you're using there's no avoiding force by by the nature of us being there there's force always implied so it's mm. you know the there's a lot of people that argue the term force free so mm-hmm. there's the, there's no such thing as force free putting a dog on a lead is using some form of force mm-hmm. but that's that's a deeper conversation mm-hmm. but the big thing with it is if i can look at why a dog is doing a certain behavior and change it by giving them a, an appropriate outlet for that behavior or mm-hmm. show them a way that i can do something in a more desirable fashion that's much more useful to me than suppressing the behavior yeah because at the end of the day if a dog is say barking at the window and i punish them to stop that great i might have stopped the barking but mm. i've not looked at why that barking was happening yeah yeah um and they often use the reference of creating a ticking time bomb because at the end mm-hmm. of the day if for example that dog is barking because it's stressed by something mm-hmm. and i just tell them they absolutely can't do that and stop them doing that by punishment mm. The likelihood of that dog then encountering whatever it is that stressed them one day and pushing them over the edge because yeah. they're already bothered by something. Yeah. You then risk, will that dog then react in a way that we can't then predict, which obviously mm-hmm. leads down the uh, explosive type behaviours mm-hmm. that are even more undesirable and potentially yeah. quite dangerous. Yeah. So, And that's, I'm assuming, quite often where the phrase, oh, it came out of nowhere yes, came from, because there's been signs before that might have been ignored or, or suppressed. suppressed. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's it. So, you know, oh, we never saw it coming. It came out of nowhere. They've never done that sort of thing before. It came out of the blue. It yeah. all comes from, well, there might have been indicators, but you've either told them off for doing them or you've been unaware of them. So that's another mm-hmm. part of training now is really understanding body language a lot mm-hmm. better. And training the owners to recognise the signs. Yeah, training, yeah. training owners to understand body language. It's something I think is imperative. If there could be nothing else that 
a dog owner learn learning body language would be key yeah yeah so i mean like let's lighten the chat a little <laughs> bit now because you've got um a we've good, gone deep early we've on. gone deep early on but i'm just thinking you know in terms of of your business and your clients just now what are some of the sort of warm and fuzzies and the success stories that you've had I mean, you don't have to mention names or anything yeah, but yeah. you know is there something you've had a client that you've had a really good outcome of or that you've just sort of solidified your yes this is why i'm doing this yeah so thoughts? There, there's been a few of that um to, to go purely personal on it with my own dog Auden, he was at one point pretty severely reactive because immediately following his neuter within the first month how old, Hor- how old was he when he was he was a year he was a year um so when he was neutered he was young he was at a transitional period his hormones were out of whack anyway and then you'd remove obviously his testosterone from the system with neutering you're creating so many things there that put him out of whack and then getting attacked five times in the space of a month no it was an absolute nightmare situation mm-hmm. so it created this dog who previously up till then had been a complete ball of joy around everything mm-hmm. and anything. He was. he was. He was the easygoing guy. With his big face. And big dope. <laughs> uh, but he was so reactive that it really made me double down on learning about behaviour more. You know, I already had a pretty solid base by that point, but I really, I started doing courses specifically on reactivity and uh, stress and anxiety in dogs because that became something I really wanted to focus on. And that's kind of become something of a speciality of mine now, mm-hmm. is dealing with those sort of things. Um, quite a lot of behaviour cases that I get are the reactivity cases, because understandably, especially when it's human reactivity, not every uh, trainer wants to work with that. Mm-hmm. But he obviously, it was the dogs, it wasn't the humans. He's now a dog that, again, I can bring him out completely comfortably in social environments. Yes, occasionally he whistles if he gets a bit over-aroused, but considering, you know, not long ago this was a dog, like I say, I had to physically manoeuvre out mm-hmm. of situations. Mm-hmm. Now I can bring him into busy public environments. He, he literally walks through the centre of Edinburgh during the Christmas rush. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a different dog to what he was. Um, That's an interesting um, thing you've just raised there because... Um, uh, as you know, um, Can I Bring the Dogs is all about forming owners where they can take their dogs that are dog friendly that are welcoming but i read uh an instagram post from an account and i will i'll um tag them in the notes for this uh that um they are a couple who live in their van they're they're in america they live in their van full time and they have their dog with them and they kind of document their life through instagram on this and the post she put up was about um just because you can take your dog somewhere doesn't mean you should 100% 100% agree. Because obviously there's situations that some dogs will be more uncomfortable with and I'm imagining walking through the middle of Edinburgh on a busy day might be too much for some dogs. Yeah. And so it's important to be aware of what your dog can handle and yeah. you obviously knew Oren could handle that. Yes. So not long, you know, bef- before that I wouldn't have taken him to that kind of environment. Mm. And equally, even, even ov- in one day, you know, one day to the next, a dog might tolerate it one day but not the next mm-hmm. because there might have been things that have gone on so you know if you've got a dog that's a bit sensitive to random visitors turning up and you've had the painters in all week mm-hmm. and then you try and take them out that weekend the likelihood of that dog being that bit more likely to react or behave differently to what mm-hmm. you can predict so it's being conscious of that i i'm all for bringing dogs with us to in different environments and being able to take them to the cafes and the pubs and the wee random shops and you know yeah. it's it's been one of the big parts of life that I enjoy having is, you know, evidently how kind of uh, kind of bring the dogs came about. Yeah. 
um a big part of that is is so so much value to having a dog is being able to bring them with you that's what owners want to do a lot of the time we want to include our dogs yeah. if we're going out we don't want to have to leave them in the car or tie them up outside a shop which is part of the whole ethos behind the website as well yeah exactly um and so people can know where they want to go but just to reiterate the point that if your dog is comfortable in that situation so 100 don't take your dog to a pub even if it is dog friendly if it's going to be overwhelming for them yeah so know, know your dog and their limits and that's it so like with Orin being a bigger guy and also although with with any reactivity case i don't think you can ever say a dog who's been to, especially to that level of reactivity is ever not going to have any potential for relapse so i know full well that if i was to bring Orin to a really tight environment with dogs on top of him you know in a really small cafe that's very mm. dog friendly so there's dogs everywhere i know full well that that might make him a bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. so i'm probably not going to bring him to those kind of mm-hmm. environments but i can ha- happily bring him to cafes and things where he's got that space mm-hmm. to be himself and there's a lot of very good dog friendly establishments where they actually have quite a lot of room for the dogs yeah. and they purposefully set tables yeah. with dogs apart from each other so yeah. they've got room well they'll have a wee, an area that is the dog friendly bit yeah um, which has swings and roundabouts because sometimes yeah, uh-huh. it then means that be they're too, too small. close. Yeah. <laughs> um, but point, you know, Emily. <laughs> we always appreciate the fact that you know any any business that gives space to dogs because they don't have to. None of them have to. No. So anyone that does, it's it's always appreciated by dog owners. And equally, you know, from their point of view, we know full well that dog businesses doing that, or bars, restaurants, cafes, whatever, mm. doing that, it also works in their favour because it means that people are likely to come that might not otherwise and stay mm-hmm. for longer and go back and tell the friends yeah yeah the the dog dollar is well discussed <laughs> i like that um so you are quite an active member of a flyball team yes with both your dogs you've got yes. two dogs is there any particular other community um events or um community charities or anything that you particularly are passionate about supporting so you want to raise awareness of the um blood donors um the dog blood donors is something that i do with on it does have quite specific criteria for obviously for the safety of the dog um so it has to be a dog over 25 kilos they have to be in good health they have to be of a certain weight etc etc do they need a blood test before their they they have so their first visit they have a preliminary blood test um to make sure that they're a suitable donor and that's something that obviously they go in or not it's fine mm-hmm. they, they still get you know gratefully received they still mm-hmm. get their treats and everything and is this something you can have done at the vets or is it through an organization like how would you if somebody wanted to register their dog as a blood donor how would they so there are some vets it? that um have it you know they'll have posters up because they are hosting the um the donor sessions they're usually sundays um there are a few round about us so there's one in dundee uh at parkside there's one in the glenrothes vets and basically the vets themselves will put it up but also the um donor page on facebook and their website also show you where they are and you can sign okay. up online so we can put we can put a link for that in the yeah. in the notes for this okay um and obviously it's something that a lot of people don't even know about or think about but obviously we're blood donors for humans are so important mm-hmm. dogs it's much the same you know it's there is occasional call out for a specific breed because certain breeds much like certain humans um certain ethnicities and things uh-huh. have more uh 
reasonable matches within certain ethnicities or whatever the vets and the nurses that are part of the organization are so good so obviously i do the cooperative care with Auden, so he knows um for the first test to sit between my feet and he'll give me his chin and basically he'll sit with his chin elevated so when they do a blood draw instead of through like the leg or the paw like they Mm -hmm. would you know with us you we generally get it done in our elbow or whatever Mm -hmm. the dogs they do it up around their neck um, because mm-hmm. it's more accessible and mm-hmm. it's a more rapid delivery. Mm-hmm. So cooperative care is uh, where you have gone through training with Oren to sit in a way that makes examination his e- choice his and choice. comfortable for him. Right. So ra- rather than me getting him on the table and holding him down and you know, you know, getting the vet to sort of do the thing while I hold him in place, mm-hmm. I get him to offer those behaviours. Right. So sitting, um, sitting with his chin up so he can access his his neck. Yeah. And, right. For the safety and for the procedure itself, they their own vets do take him to the table or they'll do it on the floor depending on the dog. Mm-hmm. But if you've got that cooperative care in there already, the dog offers that behaviour, mm-hmm. and it's something they're comfortable doing. So yeah. it's it's much better. For, for any veterinary procedure, not mm-hmm. just blood donor, yeah. but and presumably things like grooming, grooming and things, grooming, yeah. grooming vets, nail clipping, whatever. If if they know, Physical. just generally, yeah, grams. just handling, yeah, yeah. It, you know, yeah. even doing things at home. You know, your dog's got a tick. If your dog will happily stand yeah. while you take the tick off, rather than you have to wrestle them, yeah, it's much less stressful for yeah. you. Much less, less stressful for the dog. Yep. Yeah. Let's talk about training of trainers. <laughs> it's a fraught conversation. I know. <laughs> so you are um, IMDT accredited, registered? Yep, so I did my IMDT accreditation. I did PPG. IMDT is? Institute of Modern Dog Trainers. And PPG is? Pet Professional Guild. Okay. Um, And I am working on a couple of others. I'm hoping to do potentially PACT, which I can't actually remember what the, <laughs> the anagram is. PACT, P-A-C-T? Yep. And potentially uh, A P D T as well. So many an- A P A P D T A P D T. Right. So um, yeah, we'll I'll find out what those are and we'll put, I'll put them in the in the notes. And certain ones require you to have done certain things, and I think that's important. So I, I've stepped away from certain professional bodies on the basis that either their ethics don't align with my own anymore, because for me that's important because mm-hmm. they're they're sort of ethos statement is something that I have to fully align with Mm -hmm. for me to say yes I'm registered with that body otherwise it just seems a bit Mm counterintuitive and there's other ones that you know they require you to have served x amount of years professionally or you have to do certain amount of presentation or you know a specific amount of study for re-accreditation for a lot of these bodies you have to do certain amounts of CPD Mm -hmm. throughout the year it really varies and there are some that don't require as much. There's others that simply require you basically to prove that your your website shows that your ethos is theirs and, mm-hmm. and that, that's pretty much it, mm-hmm. which has its issues, obviously. Mm-hmm. It really does vary body to body. Now, as far as I know, I mean, I'm a groomer and I know that the grooming industry is not licensed or regulated in any way, which I think is a problem. Definitely. The same can be said for the dog training industry. There's Is there there's no overarching regulatory body no. that you have to sign up and say that you're a member of in order to there's work th- professionally as there, a dog There's trainer. no sort of license or like you say overarching body that sort of says this is how you train and you have to prove that you can do XYZ to train mm-hmm. and that definitely has its issues 
you know, Joe Public could set up as a trainer tomorrow. Yeah. Um, same, assume, as, same as a groomer. Yeah. Same as a groomer, same as walkers. Yeah. And that is definitely an issue within the industry. The pet industry, unfortunately, is completely unregulated. Mm. And while some people were set up with the best of intentions, it also allows for people who are not fit to be taking these classes mm. or training these people or training these dogs. Yeah. Uh, or grooming the dogs. If you were a yeah. trainer, you might not know the fallout of using sort of those old school, old school methods. Mm-hmm. If you were sitting there using super suppressive kind of methods, uh, what they what they refer to is coercive yeah. training. If you're using those sort of methods, you might not understand the fallout of if I am punishing this dog heavily for reacting to another dog. You might not then understand as a trainer sure okay yes i've got that dog to stop behaving like that and as far as i'm the trainer concerned that's great happy mm. days and the owner mm. is happy what they don't necessarily know is that dog also was seeing a lot of kids during this mm. time where you were using that suppressive method and suddenly that dog bites the child because mm. they've learned that every time they've been around children lately they've been being punished mm. So they then start to associate the dog, mm-hmm. uh, the child with the punishment. Mm-hmm. And I think any trainer that has been around for a certain amount of years is a crossover to some degree because realistically, way back when, people didn't understand behaviour as we do now. Mm. And there was always some level of sort of more controlling kind of methods mm-hmm. rather than understanding choice, rather than understanding how we can reinforce behaviour that's desirable mm-hmm. constantly rather than just punish the behaviour we don't like. Yeah. Unfortunately, is still touted publicly uh, by a lot of people, a lot of people in the public eye and a lot of people, big figures in the industry that still tout, I should be able to put my hand in the dog's bowl. Mm. I should be able to take my dog's food away from them. Yeah. I don't know about you. I'm a bit of a gannet. I would bite someone if they put their foot, their, their food, put their hand in my <laughs> if, food. If they put, if they put their, their food, food in my on my, their foot on my plate. Well, that's Why it, should we know, expect it of our dogs? They should be able to eat in peace. If I kept trying to shove your plate away from you and, and tell you it belonged to me, it wouldn't be long before your fork was in the back of my hand. No, you know? no. Um, and we're humans are able to, <laughs> We're much more able to reason. Dogs aren't able to yeah. reason in the same way. Yeah. So if, if you as the human constantly keep nicking their food, yeah. why on earth would that dog trust you around their no. food? They might well, learn yeah, because... No they might learn to give up, but that's... Yeah that's not helping the situation and it means that one day the likelihood is that dog will eventually go as you go to reach towards its food or as the toddler trips up and lands mm-hmm. with their hand in the food bowl mm-hmm. they're going to go for that hand because that hand has taken their food yeah. one too many times and they don't know the difference between as you say an accident or a little kitty sticking their hand out or falling no. over they don't know the difference they don't they don't know intent in the same way you know they don't yeah. you know we can give them a lot of understanding and we can you know we know that there's certain behaviors that they can pick up on with us we're not going to get down that line but no. at the end of the day if we've taught them that hands are taking from them all the time mm. we're not teaching them to trust us yeah and that's kind of the main thing with this sort of more the quote unquote modern methods of training is it's more around trust mm-hmm. it's more around sort of the dog enjoying being around us and enjoying our input and not being scared not being scared of us doing because they want to not because they have to yeah, yeah. and I, at the end of the day I would rather a yeah. dog that enjoyed my company and did, like I say, because they enjoyed mm-hmm. being with me and because they trusted me and because we had a good relationship yeah. rather than because they worried they about the behaviour. worried about the, the behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. Pet service industry is predominantly 
women. Yes. Groomers, trainers, walkers. It's, pre- it's not saying it's all women, it's predominantly women. Predominantly So as a woman in the pet service industry, you're a dog trainer, is there any advice that you would give to um, any other woman looking to become a small business owner, become self-employed, coming, coming into this industry? Is there any particular challenges as a woman that you have found? We could go down the line of the, the obvious of just generally setting up a business. There's always going to be issues there. Setting up a business is a challenging thing. And as we are, as the favourite phrase at the moment, we're in a cost of living crisis. So we going are. self-employed, going into an industry, it can be equally as lucrative as it can be punishing. You know, mm-hmm. it is an industry that can be throwing money at you one minute and can be sitting there questioning your life choices mm-hmm. the next. Mm-hmm. In Depending on which part of the industry you're in, you're either going to find some months are flourishing and other months are desperate within the training industry uh, you know there's it does fluctuate obviously depending on areas and things school holidays affect the training industry Mm -hmm. obviously post christmas flourish of puppies Mm -hmm. while obviously we're on that subject we don't advocate getting a puppy for christmas it happens no we do not people do it people will always get puppies for christmas unfortunately it's probably never going to change um so by that mark we always end up with the january rush mm-hmm. so we end up with lots of people going i've got a puppy for christmas help mm-hmm. um oddly september always seems to be a busy month but then summer months we School tend to holidays maybe do people get puppies over the summer because they know they're going to be in the house potentially yeah, yeah. and then it's sort of the return to work yeah go back to work. um yeah. whereas obviously summer holidays we tend to find things dip because people are going out and doing things with their dogs mm-hmm. more because they're at home more mm-hmm. so they don't need as much help because mm-hmm. or don't think they need as much help yeah. so you know it's, it's an industry that does fluctuate and some months you know people can be sitting there going Phew, i'll uh, book three holidays this year and then the next month going ah that tin, tin of beans is looking good for dinner <laughs> been there yeah Only it's super noodles but there you go i was going to say tin, tin of beans it's you know own brand beans other, <laughs> other noodles are available <laughs> um so in terms of being a woman i'm just thinking of down, uh, down more the sort do of... you have have you ever had for example uh and i'm not wanting to get into the the whole gender politics here but have you had possibly male clients maybe not taking you seriously yes. or you can't work with a big dog because you're a girl. 100%. So be, being wholly honest, as you're sitting here, sitting in front of me, for me personally, I'm quite a large person. You you're know, a tall I'm, person. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm short, just under six foot. So as a rule, I don't think I get quite as much as some female trainers on the, oh, can you handle this mm-hmm. dog? Mm-hmm. Had a couple of guys have been sort of a bit brash with me, have obviously tried to do the whole sort of challenging kind of behavior with me. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, because I've worked with men a lot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I've, I've worked, we discussed this earlier, I've worked in uh, restaurants. I, I just, I probably don't respond to it in the way that some people do. So I think that I've been able to handle it quite well, but I think some women would definitely find it quite challenging. Do you have any advice for someone who's listening to this that might think, oh my God, you know what, that's me, I've got this client and they just don't seem to listen, whether it's male or female or, Absolutely. So, you know, that can come across more confidently there are courses um i think it's the imdt do a course specifically called and it's uh try and say this all in one go creating compliance and non-compliant clients <laughs> <laughs> say it slower creating compliance in non-compliant clients right um <laughs> and it sounds very domineering and a bit intense but the idea being is that 
if you're coming into the industries, some clients are going to be harder to work with, male or female, and they're going to combat your ideals and they're going to come, come at you with things that they've read or they're going to not like how you're doing it or they're not going to think you're going to manage it. First and foremost, know your standpoint. Know, know what your ethics are, know what your line in the sand is. If that person is coming at you from an ethics point of view and they want to do X and you are saying that Y is the only way you're comfortable doing it, mm -hmm. know that that's your line in the sand. Mm -hmm. if, if, that is, if they are going to want to use punitive methods, if they're going to want to be heavy handed with their dog and don't see any other way past it, mm -hmm. be comfortable enough to say to them and be confident enough in the loss of income that will result of saying, I don't think we're going to meet on this. I, you mm -hmm. know, I understand your point of view. I understand why you feel like that I under, mm -hmm. you know I'm and that is entirely up to you but we won't be able to work together yeah. if you're tr trying to do it one way and I'm trying to do it another but realistically that client isn't going to benefit from being with you mm -hmm. if they want to use their own methods yeah. or if they're compounding your me uh, sorry confounding your methods yeah. while you're not there I think that's really important and from a grooming point of view as well or generally just working with dog owners is there isn't a one size fits all for everybody um, and if a client isn't you know, you don't have to take every client. You don't have to work with every client. And that is difficult for, especially new business owners, you want to take every client. Very difficult. Um, you don't want to turn down business. And I can totally appreciate that. But at the same time, as you say, you know, you, you, you learn that, it, be comfortable with saying, actually, you know what, we are not a good fit. And it's, it's not being unfair and it's not being detrimental to yourself. Yes, in the short term, you're probably going, oh, that was X amount of money I could have had otherwise. Yeah. But is it worth it for your mental health? Yeah. And is it worth it at the end of the day? It's not helping the dog if they're getting two different methods done or if they're constantly getting fired back and forth. Yeah. It's not helping them. It's not realistically long-term helping you. And the clients that are going to be a fit for you will find you because yeah. if you stick to your ethics, you stick to your guns, you stick to your terms and conditions, you know, it can get as basic as that. 100%. If you don't get paid on time or, you know, anything, just stick to your guns and say, well, you know, these are my boundaries. There's another whole chat. That yeah, well that's it. <laughs> we need we need boundaries within our clients, and we need yeah. because that's that's another thing. You know, when when you're new in the industry, if you've got a private phone number that they can access, you'll have had it. I've had it. Where you get contacted at silly hours of mm -hmm. night. You get contacted mm -hmm. on Christmas Day. Yep. You know, and my personal advice would be have two separate phones, yep. ideally. And one of them, when you are on downtime, you are on downtime. That phone is off or mm -hmm. it is not in your hand. For newbies in the industry, just stick to your stick to your guns, know your worth and Be able establish to boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries yes. are important. Yes, very important. And that also goes down the line of with groomers that are doing grooms in the person's home, trainers, behaviour people that go to the person's home on the female side of things. True of males as well. Uh, there's, that can't be downplayed. It's important, and I think a lot of people don't consider it initially, from a safety aspect. Yes. Make sure there is at least a trace of where you've gone and make sure that you have address and names because it might sound excessive. Especially if you're doing, you know, a seven o'clock at night out to, you know, down a back road. Mm-hmm. And no one knows where you are. No one knows where you are. And you don't come home. Yeah. And it's 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 a vital thing to do. And now because I'm doing this the doggy day camp thing, I am going walks out in the back country. Mm -hmm. Even that in and of itself, if I'm going to walk, you know, with the weather we've been having, a bit of subsidence, something mm -hmm. you know, I could fall afoul of that. It could be something as simple as a twisted ankle. But mm -hmm. if I can't walk the length of myself, mm -hmm. 
and I've got dogs that I can't walk safely with a twisted ankle, I could be stuck there. Mm -hmm. And again, being out in the back country, my signal might not be great. Mm -hmm. We just want everyone to be safe because... Because you never know. You never know. You do never know. Anything can happen. Accidents can happen. So you mentioned there about your, your doggy day adventures. What What is the, the next year or so for Peak Potential? What are you hoping to achieve in the next year? What are your goals for your business? I, I wanted to focus more on the one-to-ones, uh, be it behavioural or um, training and the nutrition side of things. I don't do so much nutrition. Uh, it just comes and goes as it will because people need it as they want it. Mm -hmm. But if you do need nutritional advice, Elaine is the one to speak to. Love it's, it. It's very much my, my thing. That's mm -hmm. my passion project. Mm -hmm. um, nutritional advice for your dog. Yeah, I was going to say, I, yeah, we were talking about the fact that I live on noodles and beans. <laughs> yeah, human nutrition is not my strong Don't come point. to either of us for that. <laughs> dog nutrition, my, my dogs are yes. fed like it's a s study in science, whereas I, I live... I've seen your Facebook posts. Yes, I enjoy, my, I, I enjoy my pretty dog meals. Those are the sort of things that I found more and more were being asked of me to be done in the evenings or on the weekends. But Saturday I'll do the odd consult here and there and evenings are kind of my big ones. So I found that my days were free in mm -hmm. a lot of cases. Like so many people within the animal industry tried to maintain a sort of standard job during that time mm -hmm. initially. And I think anyone that's coming into the industry, unless you have a big financial backing or if you have someone else who can financially support you, mm -hmm. realistically, you're probably going to have to do part-time something yep. initially. And I think that's kind of been the case for anyone I know of. Because realistically, clients come in large part, word of mouth. We can advertise yeah. till we're blue in the face, but it's friends, friend, friends chatting to friends. Yeah. Oh, I know this great lady, or I took my dog there for this, or whatever. Word of mouth within the pet industry is, I'd say, 100% the strongest mm. marketing tool. So mm -hmm. make friends with people, mm -hmm. be a nice person. Mm -hmm. um, and the hilarity in that is, you know, a lot of people get into the animal industry because they're animal people, they're not people people. Yes! <laughs> and the thing you realise within five minutes of being in it is you spend more time with the people. It's about dealing with the people. Yeah. But I'll tell you, what I will say actually is um, my confidence in dealing with people and clients and just generally chatting to people has got so much better. Yes. Since I became my own boss, my own business. I'm not a great public speaker. If you, ask, if you took me to the pub and introduced me to a bunch of friends I'd never met, I'd feel quite uncomfortable. Yeah, I would. But put me in a room full of dog people and ask me to tell them about dog stuff. Mm -hmm. I can talk till they are bored of me. <laughs> Here I'm we going are. Going on, I'm carrying on. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the thing is it does, like you say, you know, you need to be aware of the fact that you're going to be dealing with people. At least fifty percent of your job yes. is dealing with people. But it does also increase your confidence around people. It, it really does. I'm, I'm definitely a lot more yeah. capable of dealing with people yeah. than I used to be. And especially when you have to advocate for yourself. Like if you own your own business, no one else is going to step up and do it for you. You have to advocate for yourself. Yeah. You, ha you have to be able to say, eh, don't like that. Or, yep, yeah. yeah, no, that's we're fine. We're doing it this way. Or draw your line Thanks very much, but we're not, we're not like taking we, like this Like we any talked further. about, talking yeah. about your boundaries. Yeah. And yeah. when you first come into the industry, setting those boundaries is hard. It's really hard especially because yeah. it's monetary and mm -hmm. then suddenly you start going eh, actually and i know a lot especially within the dog walkers because they want to help because they want to help they you know people get in touch with them and they want to help and they need the money mm -hmm. but within six months to a year of doing it they're suddenly going 
I don't need that one. I don't need that yeah. one. I don't need that one because yeah. the word of mouth is. Or I can't. Up. I physically, you know, I, I physically can't. I've got busy now to the point where I can't. Yes, and yeah. that's kind of the thing. So, the the first few months to few years, depending on the industry, within the animal industry, is hard. Yes. But yeah, if if you can plug it out, mm-hmm. it's a rewarding yeah. industry. Um, I think this is this is a, a chat I want to have on another day because it is a whole other thing by itself, but. Um, I think, uh, as you say, a lot of people that get into the dog industry are dog people. Yes. And they set up a business, no matter what what sector it's in, grooming, walking, training, or whatever, they set it up because they want to work with dogs. Yes. And the business side of it is kind of secondary. You you either ignore it for a while and stick your head in the sand, or you learn it as you go and you think, oh, here, wait a minute. And when you actually start looking at the business aspect of it, not just the... I walk dogs or I groom dogs or I train dogs mm. when you're looking at it as a business I think it's something that in my experience is not necessarily neglected but it's a secondary yes and it's it's when it comes to all the paperwork and that sort of things people don't don't factor in how much there mm. is and legislation yeah and all of that yeah and if you're we're doing it right yeah when we're saying about the industry not being regulated it's about insurance first aid courses ongoing CPD which you do I do but not everyone does not everyone does you have to keep learning if you stop learning then you stop I think you just, just you become less less effective at your job yeah. and yeah. you're doing a dis- yeah. disservice to the owner and to the dog and you can even sort of um, push yourself out the market because if there if you work in a certain way where there is no demand for that anymore yeah. you won't get clients I know full well if uh, and this was without even the knowledge that I have if I went to a class and you know I've got Margaret telling me that now we're going to get the dogs to sit. I would be very uncomfortable, and I think we'd all we'd all be giggling because none of us speak quite as nobody uh, speaks like that. No, nobody's. <laughs> Come on, Benji, sit. <laughs> no, we have um, our funny dog voices, but that's not one of we, mine. Yeah, anyway. it's not one of mine. No. and also I don't know why my imaginary dog is always called Benji. <laughs> I don't know. Um, never so had a Benji in class. I've been. Oh, I've had lots of Benjis in the yeah. salon. Never had a Fido. No. I'm slightly disappointed. I kind of no, want one. Fido. <laughs> or a Fluffy. Never I've never had, had a Fluffy or a Bowser. No. No, they're all. Yeah. Come on, people, Cujo. get your dog name game on point. Yeah, we, we need we need the stereotype <laughs> cartoon need, names. But also also dog names like Trevor and Kevin. Kevin. I know a Kevin. There's a Kevin in Flyball. Arthur or something. I know an Arthur. Dave. I don't know a Dave. Steve. I, I know a Steve. To, yeah. <laughs> I, my mum's favourite one which she swore was her favourite dog name she ever encountered was Gravel oh. <laughs> it's just such a random name okay Gravel Gravel and I'm like well then if you're going to get more you kind of have to run with that theme and have like you know Pebble um, yeah. I mean Pebble is slightly more common I suppose but you know like if you're going to have Gravel you need to like what you're going to have next Turf <laughs> well I come from an engineering background and there are very many um, um, soil class- classifications that we could go into there we could but we're not going to Sandy Loam. <laughs> Sandy and Loam. <laughs> anyway, so peak potential. You have services you offer. You've got a doggy adventure. Yes. Daycare. So sorry, that's that's where we were saying is that's kind of how that came about. Was my daytime were largely free because of clients wanting me mostly in the evenings and weekends. That is also true of the industry in a general mm. rule. Is people yes. want you evenings and weekends because yes. they work nice to work during the day. So, so you've set you've set this up now where you take uh, a handful of literally a handful of dogs, yes. not a big pack of dogs. No, nope. four is and my max. And you go out for 
a daytime adventure. Doing what I do, I could have bigger groups, but for me, a big part of it is my enjoyment as well as the dog's enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And if I've got a massive group, mm -hmm. I'm not able to give as much time to the dogs as individuals. Yeah. So, so, so it's not even necessarily about size. You could have just two, like say for example, two greyhounds and two Westies. Yeah. But they're of similar pers they, personalities, they so they other. just enjoy each other's company. Yeah. yeah. Um, they get picked up in the morning and we do a smaller walk in the morning, which is more sniffy, it's slow, it's ploddy. We might not go more than a hundred mm. yards because we'll just spend the time pottering about mm. and doing sniffy stuff and, mm -hmm. and letting the dogs sort of just wake just up be. and just exist and be doggy. Yeah. So that's the morning. Then mm -hmm. the afternoon we do a longer sort of dedicated walk. Mm -hmm. And that one I pick somewhere that's a bit more out there. It's going to be at least an hour and a half walk, usually mm -hmm. sort of two plus, mm -hmm. depending on the dog. I say at least an hour and a half because the time that the walk says it takes versus the time that I'll take because yeah. we will stop, we'll sniff. We're not marching up and down the length of the well, walk. Well, that's it. It's their walk, their walk as well. So yeah. even a half hour walk of lots and lots of sniffing can be just as beneficial. One hundred percent. And as an hour and a half stomp. It's a lot more mental stimulation for them. It's a lot more enjoyable for them because we're not just marching past everything that they want to stop and have a look at. Yeah. So the the morning walk is very much focused on just dithering. Mm -hmm. We we do what they like want to do. Like a dither. Yeah, we like a dither. And it's amazing how quickly even the more excitable dogs settle into that. So mm -hmm. we, we come out the car and it's a bit frenetic as we get everyone sorted. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we're on the move and we go to the, the bit with the long grass or you know we go to the brambles and let them pick brambles because some of them love to forage mm -hmm. for themselves mm -hmm. they settle into this just sort of meandering and that it's it's so lovely to watch so the spaniels do spanielly things yes. the, the terriers do terrier things yes. the retrievers bring stuff <laughs> <laughs> and they're um, goofy and stare at you mm. yeah and they're actually a <laughs> slobber uh, <laughs> yeah. you know they they do what they do and they enjoy it the last part of the day we do a bit more enrichment sort of things so i might do sort of easy baby level sort of scent work thing for them to get a bit of brain work mm -hmm. because it's going to help settle them down again everyone that's been out has said the dogs have come in and they've just pottered yeah. and then gone for a lie down and so it's like they go through the excitement of the day they kind of warm up in the morning with the dither yeah. they have their main thing in the afternoon that's and then the they have a cool down yeah that's basically it so the warm up the actual exercise and the cool and down the cool essentially down. love it the cool down part being the sort of mental enrichment but wherever possible i try not to use the kit i try and use the environment so yeah yeah you know we'll do scent work amongst the trees we'll we'll hide you know i've, I've got an old glove that is my scent article that <laughs> just gets tossed in the woods and then i'll let them find it <laughs> people probably think i'm absolutely batty if they saw me which is one of the reasons why i walk in the middle There's of nowhere the lady <laughs> chucking her laundry in again <laughs> Okay. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll stick to my outerwear. Just the glove. Just the glove. So, if anyone did want to find you on social media or your website, can you tell people what your information is? Where can they find you? So, I'm on Facebook under Peak Potential. So it's Peak as in P E A K, uh, mm -hmm. and then Potential P A W T E N. Mm -hmm. So it's under that on Facebook. The website is the same. It's www. and it's .co .uk. Uh, Just peak potential, all one word. All one word. Okay. Um, keep it simple. Mm -hmm. My Gmail is the same. Peakpotential. Uh, at gmail. com. Okay. Put all those in the, in the notes so that if you do if you do want to contact Elaine about anything, you can find her and phone her at ten o'clock at night. Yes. <laughs> and get voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's been brilliant. Thank you, Elaine. For chatting with me today has been a pleasure um if you would like to be 
uh, featured on one of our chats. If you are a member of the website, let me know um, and we can arrange that. But um, I think that's us for today. So uh, thanks for listening. Um, if you've made it this far, that's awesome. Thank you very much and we'll uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find you so much for listening. You can find more information about us, including all of our social media links, at www.canibringthedogs.com. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.